Um, last week, we talked about the Abrahamic covenant. And the week before that, we talked about the Noahic covenant. And I didn't know Noahic was a word before that, but now I have learned both about the covenant and about new words. So today, I'm going to be talking about the Mosaic covenant from Moses. That's how you got the word Mosaic. But I'm going to pray because I really need Jesus' help in order to talk about this. Jesus, I really need your help. Um, I need you to speak about your heart and about your desire for us, your plans, and your way, God. We just ask that you come and be with us. Holy Spirit, say things that I'll never say to people, God. And we just want to get to know you better, Lord. Um, And lead me through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let me just give you a little bit of background and tell you the story of how we got to this place of the Mosaic Covenant. First of all, you should know that the Mosaic Covenant is not a covenant with Moses, even though the covenant gets named after Moses. Moses is the representative for Israel, and the covenant was made with the entire nation of Israel, not just Moses. But since he was the one to talk to God on behalf of the people, we call it the Mosaic Covenant. So when you think about this covenant, I don't want you just to think about Moses like you think about Abraham or you think about Noah. Those were covenants with a specific person. This one is about the whole nation. So we're going to be reading from Exodus Chapter 19, if you got a Bible or a cell phone that has service or the Bible app, uh, you can go there now, because I'm going to start reading that in just a minute. So Exodus 19 is where uh, the covenant picks up. We're not going to read it yet. You can put it up there, though. But I want to tell you what's happening before this happens. So um, you guys remember that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for a really long time. That happened because uh, Abraham uh, became the family that was Jacob and Isaac, Abraham, and all of them. Okay, they became a nation, and they became the 12 tribes. And one of those brothers, Joseph, got sold into slavery in Egypt. And then he rose to power, and then his family, Isaac, Abraham, Jacob. Abraham was dead, Isaac was dead, but Jacob and all his sons came to Egypt to spend time with Joseph and they eventually stay, they settle there, they become a nation there in Egypt and the nation just grows and they grow exponentially and eventually the the Egyptians become afraid of the nation of Israel. They say these people are getting they're getting too big, they're too numerous I'm afraid they're going to take over us Um, Joseph had died, all the original fathers had died so they don't remember the goodwill that the Israelites had given to the people So they began to oppress them for 400 years, and eventually God calls them out. So he does so many miracles to get the Israelites out of Egypt. He sends all these plagues to Egypt, and then he takes them to the Red Sea. He opens the sea, and they walk through it, and then he brings them into the wilderness. And they spend three months in the wilderness before we get to this point in the story. So this is three months after they have gone past uh, through the Red Sea. They've stopped at a couple other places, and God's done some miracles for them there. And then three months after that, he is ready to make a covenant with them. So let's read the covenant that he makes with them. It says, On the third new moon, that's three months, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped 
They encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So he tells them that if you will obey my voice and you'll keep this covenant that I'm making with you, then I will treat you like you're a treasured people, like you're a royal priesthood, like you're a holy nation. And he's saying that to them because the plan was, before everything went crazy, the plan was that he would separate for himself a people and he would make them know him and he would know them and then they would become a light for the rest of the world. So he could say, hey, look at Israel. They know of my goodness. You will too know of my goodness. Come ask them about me. And then you could come into the family. That was the point, that Israel would be separated so they could be a light and a beacon for the nations around him. But the Lord is aware that they've been in slavery for, for in Egypt for the last 400 years, and this is only their first three months being free. Um, and they learned a lot of the ways of Egypt. So even though it was his desire that they would become this nation who would represent him in the earth, they didn't really know how to do that. They didn't have any capacity to do that at the time. And this is why he brought them into the wilderness, so that he could teach them of himself. So after he makes this initial decree that they should follow him and obey his voice and he'll make a covenant with him, then he begins to teach them all of his commandments. This is where the Ten Commandments come in. Do y'all know the Ten Commandments? Who can name them? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Mia. What you got? Yeah. Is that all of them? The Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. There you go. Can we clap for me? That's incredible. That is incredible. She named more off the top of her head than I would have been able to. Thank God I could have read it, you know, because I wouldn't have been able to remember. I learned a cool song when I was a kid about that, um, but I only remember the first two verses. So I only know, like, two commandments. So thank God that um, that's not what I'm being tested on today. So amazing job, me. Yeah, so this is where the Ten Commandments come. They're at the base of this mountain. Moses goes up the mountain, and the Lord gives him these commandments. He actually writes them. Um, the Lord writes them at first on these tablets of stone for the people. So then he comes back down and he gives the people these commandments. And the people say, everything that you have said, we will do. They agree to this covenant with God. 
So then I didn't realize this, but afterwards, he also begins to teach them about how to be with him. Not just these Ten Commandments, but after that, he gives several other laws about how these people can come together and be with him. So he explains laws about social justice, how do you handle foreigners in your area, how do you have Sabbath, what does worship look like, what does rest look like. He explains all of these things to them so that they will begin to know him. And as I was studying this, what I felt like was most significant, and if you forget everything, this is the whole point of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, the point of this was that was two main things. I think I have them up there. If you go forward. Keep going. Yeah, so the point, he had three main points for Israel in this, in this time. One was to know him. One was to know his ways. And then one was to become like him. That was his point. So I was talking to the Lord about this, and I was like, Lord, how could I make this make sense? And he reminded me of my cousin Jonas. So my cousin Jonas, he just went into the Air Force, and he is in San Antonio. He grew up in Michigan, where it snows, where they got crazy weather like we do. And uh, maybe like four weeks ago now, they picked him up and shipped him off to San Antonio, where it does not snow, and the heat will choke you if you're not comfortable, if you're not careful. It's, uh, it's dangerous out there. And so he's out there, and they took away his phone. They took away um, all his modern luxuries, like his ability to lead his schedule. They just took everything away from him. We're only writing him letters. I don't think I've ever written a letter before, maybe once in the third grade. It's like a pen pal. But that's not a common thing that I do anymore. But they stripped him of all of this stuff. And the reason that they strip you of all of this stuff when you go to boot camp is because the coming away from all of things that are comfortable and bringing you to this place of isolation gets you in the mindset to only be looking at them. The goal here is that they would fully indoctrinate you in all the ways of the military and that they would have your full attention in doing so. So they're teaching you how to wake up, how to fold your clothes like a military man, how to make your bed like a military man, how to fight, how to think, how to move, how to talk, everything like the military. That's the reason they isolate you from everything. And so I've been writing him letters, and he's been learning a lot more about how um, to navigate the military, and it's changing him. And I feel sad about that because I really liked who he was. But you can't have an experience like this and, and, and not be changed. And so it's beginning to change him into somebody new, somebody who has this military knowledge. Well, God is not a dictator, and he's not a military tyrant, but his intention is the same. His intention was to bring Israel into this place of isolation and indoctrinate them in his way. They have been wandering Egypt and learning Egypt's ways for a really long time. And you see that in the scriptures where the first, like, three days, they're out of, the, uh, they're out of Egypt. They walk through the Red Sea. They see, like, whales and stuff passing them, fish. They have this crazy experience. And in three days in, they are complaining about how they're thirsty. And they're hungry. And we used to have meat when we were slaves. And how crazy do you sound to say, I just, I wish I was a slave again. At least they fed us meat. Oh my goodness. That is just such a picture of the condition of their hearts. They had totally forgotten what it was like to be in relationship and communion with this God. So he's like, I'm going to separate you from all that way that you were in hopes of getting the Egypt to come out of you. 
So he begins to, to indoctrinate them in his ways. He teaches them step by step. How do you love me and how do you love one, one another? He gives them instructions for if somebody steals from you. This is where it gets like, he was, God was real tedious in, this, in these moments. He was like, if somebody takes out your eye, you give them their, your eye. If you lose an ox on this day, but not on this other day, give the ox back or don't give the ox back. If you're working your fields on this day, but not this other day, do this. I mean, so specific because he knows that they have not received this in the last 400 years while they've been enslaved. They don't remember how to be with God. And so in the same way that in a boot camp you learn the ways of the military, here God is teaching Israel the ways of his kingdom. This is the first representation they have of how the kingdom functions. So know his ways. Also, he wanted them to know him. When I was talking to my best friend about this last night, because um, she was kind of helping me like prep my sermon, I was so nervous. I still feel nervous, but hopefully God's going to do something. When I was prepping this sermon and I was thinking about how God wanted them to know him, it reminded me of the marriage covenant. And I don't know about you guys, like what your stories are, like where you are in marriage, but it's like the best uh, representation of a covenant that we have today. We don't have a lot of modern day covenants. Marriage is probably the best one. So when I got married, um, I went to the Dominican Republic for my honeymoon. And um, it was a really fun time, but it was also a really embarrassing time for a lot of reasons. Some of the reasons were um, that resort that we were staying at, there wasn't a lot of people. It was a new resort, and we went on a friend's timeshare. We would have never been able to take ourselves to the DR, but thank God that somebody was like, we'll send you to the DR. So we went there, and we were at a resort. We were at a show, and it was only like five people in the audience. And the guy at the front is like, we're looking for audience participation. Can anybody show up? And there's only five people in the audience. And so I'm like, God, I don't want to go up here. I don't want to be up there. I just want to sit in the seat. So I'm like looking away. I'm trying to avoid him. I don't, I don't want to be called on. And Devonta's like, pick her. Pick her right here. Pick her. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this marriage is going to work. If this is going to be. And so he's like, pick her. And so the guy walks over, and I'm really trying to avoid him at this point. And he's like, um, you, ma'am. There was nobody sitting around me, so I don't know who he was pointing at. But he's like, oh, you, ma'am, would you like to come up? And I was like, no, I would not like to come up. He was like, oh, no, you're fine. Come up. You'll be great. And I was like, no, please, please, really, I don't. I don't want to come up. And so he's like, all right, great, you're coming up. Everybody give it up for her. So all five people clap. And I, like, have to go up on the stage. And so then I get on the stage, and this was the most awkward moment of my life. So far, I get on the stage and they bring out this carnival girl who is like a carnival dancer. She's like has the big giant feathers, this beautiful outfit, and they're like, "Okay, she's gonna dance. Watch!" And so they turn on the music. She just like shake everything. She goes, do, 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 right. And so then they say, "Okay, now Kiara, your turn." And I was like, ah! <laughs> "No, thank you." And then I'm like, "Come on, give me some encouragement." I was like, "No, please." Please don't encourage me because I'm not doing any of this. And so Devontae is in the seat crying at this point. Like, he is laughing so hard. And he videotaped this, but you will never see this video. And he was like, dance. And so then I ended up doing, like, the best salsa dance that I've ever had in my life. Like, all the salsa moves I've ever learned from TV and, and movies. I did them at that moment. 
And I was just like, I hope this is enough because you're not getting any more from me at this moment. And so I danced, and then two other girls who were up there of the five people in the audience also danced. And they're like, how did you get a good job? Let's bring somebody else up. She danced, and then she won. I was like, why did you even invite me up here if you're going to make me embarrass myself like this? So I was super embarrassed, um, and Devontae still watches this video today and laughs at that moment. <laughs> and I didn't think it was funny. It's a little bit funny, but not that much funny. So um, that's totally a side story. I just wanted to tell the story because I think it's really funny. But the point was, during that time of us going into our honeymoon, there was a way that we got to know each other that we would not have had we been in Pennsylvania. I would have never had to compete against a Carnival girl on Franklin Ave. That's not a thing, you know, happening in our, our area. But where we were, when we separated and isolated ourselves, there was a way that we got to be with each other and got to know each other and got to see the silly side of each other and the fun side of each other and the embarrassing side of each other and the sad side of, there's a way that we got to know each other that was special when we were on our honeymoon. And it continued during our first years of marriage. There was something significant about us moving to Pennsylvania where we don't have any family. So it's he and it's I, and we're figuring out how to do this marriage thing together, just us, with our family on mission. Thank God that you guys are being our family because we wouldn't have any. And so I, as I was thinking about this passage, I felt like God was doing the same thing to these people. If you look at Moses' life story, the concentration of miracles that the people see when they're with Moses is insane. The amount of ways that God reveals himself to these people is, I feel like, it's unlike any other place in the New Testament. These people see all ten plagues play out. They watch the angel of death pass over their door and go kill the firstborn. They watch themselves walk through the sea. They see the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They see water that was bitter. You throw a log in it, it becomes fresh water that you can drink. They're hungry, they complain, and bread falls from heaven to them, and quail falls from heaven to give them water. They're going to another place. They're thirsty again. Moses hits a rock and water comes out from the rock. Then they get to Mount Sinai and it says, as he's teaching them, it says that the Lord descended on the mountain like fire and it was so, the fire was so great that the whole base of the mountain was covered in black smoke and the people said, don't let him talk to us. This is terrifying. Moses, you go talk to him because God, you're doing some scary stuff right now. I mean, he, like, shows up in the most miraculous ways possible. They build the tabernacle in the tent of meeting, and God descends on the tent of meeting. And the people who are, like, eating lunch, talking to their neighbors, maybe farming, they look over, and they can see God descend on the tabernacle, like just a regular occurrence. They see the cloud come, they're like, oh, God and Moses are in there talking. Would you like a sandwich today? Like, it, it is the most common thing for them to have this relationship with God. But the miracles that they're seeing are unparalleled anywhere else in the Old Testament. And so I was asking them, well, why, why would you be showing yourself like that to them? And it is the same way that you would think about a new marriage happening. God is revealing himself to them. And he's revealing himself to them in the most intimate and full way they've ever seen him before. They can speak to him. There's, as a matter of fact, um, he says that he speaks to Moses face to face. Some translations say mouth to mouth. The way that he is revealing himself to Israel is not just so that they can know his ways, but so that they can know him. 
I want you to know me and my goodness. And he starts this covenant by saying, since you've seen what I can do, since you've seen how I brought you out of Egypt and how I have lifted you up on eagles' wings, make a covenant with me. Just listen to my voice and keep my commandments and I will be in covenant with you. I will make you a great nation, a holy people. He is saying to them, know me as I'm knowing you. I am yours. I'm giving myself to you fully. Will you be mine in return? That's what he's saying to these people. And the people initially say yes. This is amazing and terrifying, but amazing. We say yes. So he invites them to know him. He invites them to know his ways. And then this this last part is where it gets a little tricky. He invites them to become like him. And you can see some instances in the scripture where that kind of starts to happen. There's a moment where Moses goes up. The people totally don't keep the covenant. They make a golden calf, and then they worship it, and then the Lord makes them grind it up and eat it, and then Moses is like, please don't kill everybody. Don't, like, you brought them into the wilderness. Don't kill everybody. So then the Lord is like, okay, I'll I'll make the covenant with you again. They've broken it, but I will renew our covenant vows. So then the Lord calls Moses up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He doesn't eat, he doesn't drink while he's up there, and he's renewing the covenant of Israel and the Lord. And when he comes back down, it says that Moses' face shines so bright with the glory of God that the people of Israel couldn't even look at it. He had to put a veil over his face so that they could talk to him. And then when he would go back to see God, he would take the veil off. And so there was this process of him veiling himself and then unveiling himself because this is what was happening. The more you're sitting in his face, the more you are becoming like him. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, denying all other pleasures, including food and water, which to me is not really a pleasure, more like a necessity. But for him, he denied all that stuff to just behold the Lord. And by the time he got down the mountain, his whole face looked like he had beheld the Lord. And the people were terrified of it. And this is the thing that the Lord was inviting the people to. I don't want Moses to be the only one that gets to behold me like this. This is where we are now. But this wasn't the goal that Moses would be some kind of special person. My goal is that all of you would behold me and then become like me and be transformed into my image. But the people could not keep this covenant. And that's what it would have required. It would have required that they obey him. And that's what the slide that I compares. It requires that the people obey him and that he be faithful to his promises. He kept his end. The people couldn't keep their end. And so I began to ask the question, like, what made it so difficult for them to accept this gift that God was giving them? It's almost like he proposed to them with, like, all the fireworks. If you could imagine having a proposal where your spouse invited everybody that you've ever loved, all the food that you ever wanted to eat, and there's dancers, and there's music, and there's ribbons, and there's, like, everything you could think of for the best proposal ever. And he is just, like, down on one knee, like, I will fully reveal myself to you. Will you say yes? to me. And the people of Israel say yes, but they have no power to keep the yes that they said. It's almost like if somebody proposed to you and you were already married. You couldn't say yes. Legally, you have no ability to uphold the yes that you have said. And that is the situation that the Israelites find themselves in because they say yes to God, but they're already married to their master who is sin. 
It already lives in them. It already has a kingdom that's taking root in them. So when God pours his love out lavishly on them, they don't have the power to say yes to this. They don't have the ability to keep their side of the covenant, which is to obey. And so they don't. They consistently break this covenant. It reminded me while I was thinking about it. Um, I've been trying to do my hair. Lil did my twist today, so I got like my twist going on. And I've been trying to color my hair for a little while. But I don't have a hairstylist here, so I don't know who's going to maintain the color. And I don't want my hair to just break off and fall out. So uh, when I was in Atlanta, I asked my hairstylist if she could, like, rinse it a color for me. She was like, absolutely. She rinsed it this beautiful, brown, deep, rich, lovely color. And I was like, oh, it's so pretty. What color would you guys say my hair is right now? Black. I would also say that it's black. And um, it's really sad because the bottle was like brown and it was going to be like rich, like autumn. And I just thought I was going to come out of the hair salon looking just like flip hair, looks cute. You know, that's what I was planning to be. And then I washed my hair and immediately all the brown is gone. Now I'm back to this, I'm back to this 1B blackness. I'm, if you buy weave, the color is 1B. Anyways, so um, I'm back to this life and I'm like, Lord. I really wanted that brown rinse. Like, what happened? But if you know anything about doing hair, you know that I have dark hair. You know that you have to bleach my hair in order to deposit a a pigment. You can't just put a color over top of the darkness and think that you're going to be able to see the darkness. You have to strip the darkness out of it to deposit something new in it. You have to strip the, the, the black out of my hair to deposit any color. Israel would need to have the, the darkness stripped out of them before they could receive the deposit that God was trying to give them. And they were not in a position to do that for themselves. Because obeying is not going to get you there. They tried that, and they couldn't do it. They're trying to obey, but the darkness still lives inside them. So it puts them in a very difficult place. And that is why, as we move to the New Testament, that is why Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthians, calls this this covenant the ministry of condemnation. That's what he refers to it as. And it's because all it can do is condemn you. All it can do is show you how perfect the standard was, how beautiful the bottle color was, and how incapable you are of ever receiving that, of ever reaching that. That's why it, calls the, it is called the ministry of condemnation. And that's why we celebrate Jesus. Because we were stuck in the ministry of condemnation. We were stuck reading these laws about how much better we should have been and knowing that we could never be any better. Before we came to Jesus or wherever we are in that journey, we were in the same place as the Israelites, having the law read. And the law is perfect. When he is given these commandments, there is perfection to them. Not anything is missing. There's nothing to be added and nothing to be taken away. It is completely perfect. But we are not. And when we stand next to it, we see how much we don't measure up. And he says that that's the ministry of condemnation. But we thank God for Jesus because Jesus wrapped himself in our condition. It's so interesting. It's almost like he reverse bleached his hair. Like he had blonde hair and he chose to, I'm not saying that Jesus has an ethnicity, don't. But he had blonde and chose to wrap himself in darkness so that we could do the opposite. And that's why we're, that's why we're celebrating Jesus. So now I want to read these words to you that um, Paul is saying when he calls it the ministry of condemnation. Paul, um, when he's talking to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, 
he explains the difference between these two covenants, and that's the point of this. I could just read it off the screen. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with this glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses, I don't know what happened right there. <laughs> you know what? We're going to just read it out the Bible because I don't know what happened in those sentences. If you're listening to the podcast, there's a typo on the screen that I don't know how to correct. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Lacey, you get three points. All right. Um, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved on letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory... Transitory through it was not the ministry of the spirit even be more glorious. So here what he's saying, go back. What he's saying here is if this ministry, that is the ministry of condemnation, came with so much glory that you couldn't even look at Moses' face, how much more glory is the ministry of the spirit that we are receiving? Keep going. So then it says the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Transitory means falling away. If that which is perishing, this old covenant that was always meant to perish, if that which is perishing came with glory so much so that you couldn't even look in the face, how much more glory is this that's never going to end coming with? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who will put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. So this, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. But it has, not, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the spirit, the, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. My God, man, I know you just want to sit in it like woo. And I felt it's so perfect that you sang so many songs about beholding the Lord. Like, today the Advent candle theme is joy, but I really felt like the Lord was talking about beholding him. Because there was a glory that came with the ministry of condemnation, but that's not the glory that he's given us. There is another glory that's even greater and even fuller than the one that has passed away. And it is this ministry of righteousness. It is this ministry of reconciliation that's not obedience-based. But it's based in Jesus. I love the symbolism of the Bible. For it talks about Moses wearing a veil. I think about a bride's veil. And that veil being lifted. But what happened when Jesus died? What happened in the temple? Absolutely. The veil was torn from top to bottom. Symbolically highlighting that this veil that was over the ministry has now been ripped away. And not only do we receive this ministry of reconciliation, but now we receive um, his glory from glory to glory. 
It says, as we behold him, we are transformed into his image. This is the third part that the Israelites were never able to walk into. They were never able to step into the beholding him and becoming like him peace. And even Moses only got his face to become like God. But what about the rest of his body? What about the rest of his being? Even Moses, who we love, did not get to go into the promised land. Even Moses, who said, God, show me your glory. He says, I can't show you my glory because you'll die if you see it. Let me hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to walk by and you can see my back. You can't even see my face because you'll die. That was Moses' reality. Our reality is not that. Our reality is that we fully behold God with unveiled faces and get to be fully transformed into his image. From glory to another level of glory, exceedingly. From glory to glory to glory to glory. Amen. And that's the place that Jesus is calling us to, to be able to receive his glory everlasting. And it's so beautiful, you know, at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus um, is standing there and he transforms and you see him in his, his full glory. Moses and Elijah are standing there. And Moses also shone as bright as Jesus did right there. You can see that when the new covenant was offered to Moses, it transformed him fully, not just his face. That's what God is inviting us to. And that's what Jesus came in flesh to give us. Because God, and I thought about, as I was preparing this, that Jesus is the God who revealed himself to Israel. He is the person that came and made the proposal in the first place. So he was like, I'm just, I'm going to come get you. You don't know how to get to me, I'm just going to come get you. I'm going to come down. I'm going to wrap myself in, in, in sin, in darkness, so that you can be wrapped in glory. And as we behold Jesus, he is the vision of God. We see God. And that's the last piece. We, we now, by the Spirit, through Jesus, we know God. We know his ways. The Spirit lives in us. Not, it says that not on tablets of stone, but I'll write my law on their hearts. The Spirit comes to live in us, to teach us his ways at every single moment. I've never read a scripture about what I should do at the gas station concerning somebody who's crying. But the Spirit of God has told me, pray for her. Lay hands on her and tell her that I love her. That's not written in this book, but it is written on the heart of God. And the Spirit lives in us to give us that. And lastly, as we behold him, we become like him. And so that's the invitation I have, um, and I felt like the Lord was impressing that we should behold him. There's a scripture, uh, or it's a song, too, that we think about at Christmas that says, Now behold the Lamb of God, who's come to take away the sins of the world. And that's the position that the Lord wants us to be in, to behold him and to become like him. John, you can play, because I only have like five more words. Um, the words are, you're invited to behold him. Come behold him and be transformed. From glory to glory. Thank you.